Chapter 18 of Survivors of the Chancellor by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. We explore the reef. October 31st to November 5th. Our first proceeding on the morning of the 31st was to make the proposed tour of the reef, which is about a quarter of a mile long. With the aid of our sounding lines, we found that the water was deep right up to the very rocks that no shelving shores prevented us coasting along them. There was not a shadow of doubt as to the rock being of purely volcanic origin, upheaved by some mighty subterranean convulsion. It is formed of blocks of basalt, arranged in perfect order, of which the regular prisms give the whole mass the effect of being one gigantic crystal, and the remarkable transparency of the sea enabled us plainly to observe the curious shafts of the prismatic columns that support the marvelous substructure. This is indeed a singular island, says Monsieur Le Turner. Evidently it is of quite recent origin. Yes, father, said Andre, and I should think it has been caused by a phenomenon similar to those which produced the Julia Island off the coast of Sicily, or the group of the Santorini in the Grecian archipelago. One could almost fancy that it had been created expressly for the Chancellor to strand upon. It is very certain, I observe, that some upheaving has lately taken place. This is by no means an unfrequented part of the Atlantic so that it is not at all likely that it could have escaped the notice of sailors if it had been always in existence. Yet it is not marked even in the most modern charts. We must try and explore it thoroughly and give future navigators the benefit of our observations. But perhaps it will disappear as it came, said Andre. You are no doubt aware, Mr. Caslon, that these volcanic islands sometimes have a very transitory existence. Not impossibly by the time it gets marked upon the maps, it may no longer be here. Never mind, my boy, answered his father. It is better to give warning of a danger that does not exist than overlook one that does. I dare say the sailors will not grumble much if they don't find a reef where we have marked one. No, I dare say not, father, said Andre. And after all, this island is very likely as firm as a continent. However, if it is to disappear, I expect Captain Curtis would be glad to see its departure as soon as possible after he has finished his repairs. It would save him a world of trouble in getting his ship afloat. Why, what a fellow you are, Andre, I said, laughing. I believe you would like to rule nature with a magical wand. First of all, you would call up a reef from the depths of the ocean to give the Chancellor time to extinguish her flames, and then you would make it disappear, just that the ship might be free again. Andre smiled. Then in a more serious tone he expressed his gratitude for the timely help that had been vouchsafed us in our hour of need. The more we examined the rocks that formed the base of this little island, the more we became convinced that its formation was quite recent. Not a mollusk, not a tuft of seaweed was found clinging to the sides of the rocks. Not a germ had the wind carried to its surface. Not a bird had taken refuge from the crags upon its summits. To a lover of natural history, the spot did not yield a single point of interest. The geologist alone would find subject of study in the basaltic mass. When we reached the southern point of the island, I proposed that we should disembark. My companions readily assented, young Letourneur jocosely observing that if the little island was destined to vanish, it was quite right that it should be first to be visited by human beings. The boat was accordingly brought alongside, and we set foot upon the reef and began to ascend the gradual slope that leads to its highest elevation. The walking was not very rough, and as Andre can get along tolerably well without the assistance of an arm, he led the way, his father and I following close behind. A quarter of an hour sufficed to bring us to the loftiest point in the islet, where we seated ourselves on the basaltic prism that crowned its summit. Andre took a sketchbook from his pocket and proceeded to make a drawing of the reef. 
Scarcely had he completed the outline that his father exclaimed, Why, Andre, you have drawn a ham! Something uncommonly like it, I confess, replied Andre. I think we had better ask Captain Curtis to let us call our island Ham Rock. Good, said I. Those sails will need to keep it at a respectful distance, for they will scarcely find that their teeth are strong enough to tackle it. Monsieur Letourneur was quite correct. The outline of the reef, as it stood, clearly defined against the deep green water, resembled nothing so much as a fine York ham, of which a little creek, where the Chancellor had been stranded, corresponded to the hollow place above the knuckle. The tide at this time was low, and the ship now heeled over very much to the starboard side. The few points of rock that emerged in the extreme south of the reef plainly marking the narrow passage through which she had been forced before she finally aground. As soon as Andre had finished his sketch, we descended by a slope as gradual as that by which we had come up, and made our way towards the west. We had not gone very far when a beautiful grotto, perfect as an architectural structure, arrested our attention. Monsieur Letourneur and Andre, who had visited the Hebrides, pronounced it to be a Fingal's cave in miniature, a Gothic chapel that might form a fit festibule for the cathedral cave of Stapa. The basaltic rocks had cooled down into the same regular concentric prisms. There was the same dark canopied roof with its interstices filled up with its yellow lutings. The same precision of outline in the prismatic angles, sharp as though chiseled by a sculptor's hand. The same sonorous vibration of the air across the basaltic rocks, of which the Gaelic poets had feigned that the harps of the Fenigal minstrels were made. But whereas at Staffa the floor of the cave is always covered with a sheet of water, here the grotto was beyond the reach of all but the highest waves, while the prismatic shafts themselves formed quite a solid pavement. After remaining nearly an hour in our newly discovered grotto, we returned to the Chancellor, and communicated the result of our explorations to Curtis, who entered the island upon the chart, by the name Andre Letourneur had proposed. Since his discovery, we have not permitted the day to pass without spending some time in our Ham Rock grotto. Curtis has taken an opportunity of visiting it, but he is too preoccupied with other matters to have much interest to spare from the wonders of nature. Falston, too, came once and examined the character of the rocks, knocking and chipping them about with all the mercilessness of a geologist. Mr. Keir would not trouble himself to leave the ship, and although I asked his wife to join us in one of our excursions, she declined, upon the plea that the fatigue, as well as the inconvenience of embarking in the boat, would be more than she could bear. Miss Herby, only too thankful to escape even an hour from her capricious mistress, eagerly accepted Monsieur Letourneur's invitation to pay a visit to the reef. But to her great disappointment, Mrs. Keir at first refused point-blank to allow her to leave the ship. I felt intensely annoyed and resolved to intercede in Miss Herby's favor, and as I had already rendered the self-indulgent lady sundry services which she thought she might be glad again to accept, I regained my point, and Miss Herby has several times been permitted to accompany us across the rocks where the young girl's delight at her freedom has been a pleasure to behold. Sometimes we fish along the shore and then enjoy a luncheon in the grotto, while the basalt columns vibrate like harps to the breeze. This arid reef, little as it is compared with the cramped limits of the Chancellor's deck, is like some vast domain. Soon there will be scarcely a stone with which we are not familiar, scarcely a portion of its surface we have not trodden, and I am sure that when the hour of departure arrives we shall leave it with regret. In the course of conversation, Andre Letourneur one day happened to say that he believed the island of Staffa belonged to the MacDonald family, who led it for the small sum of twelve pounds a year. I suppose then, said Miss Herby, that we should hardly get more than half a crown a year for our pet little island. I don't think you would get a penny for it, Miss Herber, but are you thinking of taking a lease? I said laughingly. 
not at present she said then added with a half-suppressed sigh and yet it is a place where i have seemed to know what it is to be really happy andre murmured some expression of assent and we all felt that there was something touching in the words of the orphaned friendless girl who had found her long-lost sense of happiness on a lonely rock in the atlantic End of chapter 18